morning. It is good to see you this morning. After Travis stands up here, this thing's always like aimed at my forehead. The struggle is real for us short people. Hey, if you're a guest of ours, we are especially honored to have you with us this morning. We are just started a sermon series that we're calling Doing Life Together. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about this idea of community, the importance of community, but also, and maybe especially, the blessings of community. The, the blessings that we get to share when we really start kind of getting our lives wrapped up in each other's lives. And we're not wanting to just talk about community. We're really trying to grease the tracks for what's coming up this next quarter, especially on our Wednesday night, Wednesday nights. Um, this coming Wednesday night, October the 3rd, we are having our first Bay Area Story Slam. Everybody has a story, right? Well, this Wednesday night, here in the auditorium, we're all going to be together, and you're going to hear seven different family members share a part of their story from all ages. It's going to be encouraging. It's going to be, I think, a lot of fun. We get to know each other a little bit better. You need to be here this Wednesday night, and you need to be on time this Wednesday night. We're starting at 7.30. We're going to start at 7.30. It's going to be fun. And then uh, the week after that, beginning October 10th, we start our intergenerational drive on Wednesday nights. And again, we're going to all be together in the Family Life Center. And as a family, we are going to do our best to replicate on some level what those early Christians did in Acts 2.42. We're going to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. You're going to be able to, to share some things. You're going to be able to learn some things from people that are probably a little bit older than you and people who are probably a little bit younger than you. Again, I, I think it's going to be crafted in a way that's really going to be encouraging and biblical and, um, and again, just exciting, I think. So I hope you're making plans to, to be a part of that with us as well. Okay. For this morning, uh, I want to use a very millennial concept to share some very biblical truths to get us thinking about this idea of, of doing life together. And I want to bring your attention. I put a cartoon up there. I'll, I'll, I'll show one instead of tell one. I want to bring your attention to something that we're all familiar with in this day and age. Everybody understands the concept, but it's something 20 years ago most of us probably would not have understood the concept. And that's the idea of an app. Now, if you've got your phone or your tablet, you know that there's a lot of apps that you can put on your phones and on your tablets and on your device. In fact, I know a lot of you are looking at your phone right now, looking at your tablet right now, because you're opening up your Bible app, right? That's what you're doing. You're not looking at Facebook, right? No, you're not checking your email. You're opening your Bible app. Very good. If you're an Android user, you have 3.8 million apps to choose from. It's almost impossible for me to wrap my mind around that number. If you're an Apple person, you only have 2 million apps to choose from. Some of them are great. Some seem kind of silly to me. There's a bubble wrap app that you can download. It makes your screen look like bubble wrap. And you can press and pop the bubbles as long as you'd like. There's a hold on app. It's nothing but a button. 
And you can put your thumb on it and it will time how long you can hold on to that button. It's life-changing, really. <laughs> there is an iPyro app. You can take a picture of anything or anyone and the app will set that picture on fire. Which sounds almost disturbing to me. Then there's an app called the Annoying app. Described as sounds to generate or uh, sounds generated to annoy those around you. Everybody needs that, right? Uh, look, teenagers are taking notes right now during the sermon. Awesome. And then I think we all have that app on our phone that's designed to make us look fat. The camera, right? Just a lot of apps to choose from. We're going to talk about a couple this morning. Last week we talked about buzzwords to kind of connect us to this idea of doing life together. And this morning as we talk again about biblical community, I want you to know there's an app for that. And we began last week by focusing on John chapter 13, where Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And by this all men will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. And this is really sort of part two of last week's lesson. And I used last week's lesson, I called it a fundamental um, building block to Christianity. I called it Jesus 101, a new command I give you, love one another. And I said if we get that wrong, we're going to miss everything else because it's a command. It's not a suggestion. You can't be a rule keeper and ignore the rule maker. And some Christians will say, yeah, that love thing, I'm all for it, I get it, I understand it. But to be quite honest, I'm not sure I've really grown in love. Listen, if you call yourself a Christian and you don't think you've grown in love in the past year or so, if you're not loving better, if you're not loving more deeply, if you're not loving people on, 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 a, on a different level, a, a better level, if you're not loving more people, you're doing it wrong. We are supposed to be growing in our love. Now, intellectually, we understand that. To live that truth relationally, it's a different matter. Hey, if it were easy, everyone would do it, right? And that's why we need help. And thankfully, as Christians, we're promised that we have that help. Thankfully, there's an app for that. Open up your Bibles. Open up your tablet. Open up your phone to 1 Thessalonians. For the most part, we're going to stay in this book. Uh, I'm going to begin in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to Christians. I'm going to pick up the reading in verse 9. Here's what he says to them. But I don't need to write to you about the Christian love that, you, that should be shown among God's people. For God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, your love is already strong toward all the Christians in all of Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we beg you to love them more and more. Paul tells these Christians, you're doing a great job of loving. Your love is known through the whole region, but I'm going to beg you. Love them more and more. Paul tells these people, you're doing a great job. Now you need to get a little bit better at it. I think if Paul were writing a letter to the Bay Area family, he might very well say the same thing. You're doing a great job of loving. I think we're a loving congregation. But we've got to get better at it. 
It was Jimbo Fisher that I first heard say, you don't have to be sick to get better. You know, we don't have to be bad at something to get better at something. Paul says, I want you to love them more and more. And then he makes an interesting statement in verse 9. Notice he says, God Himself has taught you to love one another. How has God taught us to love one another? Well, in this instance, the obvious answer is the right answer, I think, is Jesus. In Romans 5, God demonstrates His love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The very fact that Jesus came to this earth demonstrates God's love. The fact that He died for us and for our sins demonstrates sacrificial love. The life that He lived, the lessons that He taught, the example that He left demonstrates unconditional love. But then also, and I mentioned this last week, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. As Christians, as Christians, we should be the best one anotherers on the face of the planet. No one should be able to out-love a Christian because we ought to be able to love with Holy Spirit power. We used to sing the old song years ago, Sweet Holy Spirit, sweet heavenly dove, stay right here with us, filling us with your love. It's biblical. God has, we have been taught by God to love each other. We have a supernatural capacity to love each other. But we've got to be intentional in how we express that love. And Paul says to the Thessalonians, I want you to love more and more. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 tells us, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Doing life together is intentional. Loving each other and loving better is intentional. It's never accidental. In his book, Disappointment with God, Philip Yancey, who has written a lot of Christian uh, books, talks about a very personal story. He's at home with his mother as an adult, and he came across a picture of himself as a very small baby, six or eight months old, and his mother. And it wasn't a great picture. The picture was yellowed and a little bit out of focus and grainy, and uh, he wondered why his mother kept it all this time. His mother was widowed uh, before Philip Yancey turned a year old. He asked his mother, why do you have kept this picture around all this time? That's not a very good picture of you. It's really not a very good picture of me as a baby. And she explained to him that when Philip's father contracted polio at the age of 24, the disease advanced very quickly, and he was soon placed in what was known at that time as an iron lung. And if you're old enough, you'll remember those contraptions, or maybe you've seen pictures of them. Uh, people with this disease were placed in this metal contraption, sort of a tubular kind of thing, and only their head was outside of this contraption. And Philip's father had one request, that his wife bring a picture of herself and his baby son, tape it to the outside of that machine where he could see them, so he could spend his last days staring at the two people that he loved more than life itself. And that torn, tattered picture was the picture that the dad he never knew stared at until the day he died. And when his mother explained that to him, Philip Yancey said, I had the same feeling that I had back in, high, in, in college, actually, when I realized that the Jesus I never knew 
loved me more than I could ever begin to imagine. Even though I didn't know him, even though I didn't know that I was being loved, I was being loved. Love is intentional. It never happens by accident. And Paul told those Christians in Thessalonica, I want you to love more and more. I want you to get better and better at it. Now, I told you there was an app for that, so I'm going to stay in the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to share three apps that we can use to, I think, help us to love more and more and better and better, that will help us to love like nobody else on the planet. And first, Christians ought to love like nobody else on the planet because we know that there's so much more than just this planet. We need the This World Is Not My Home app. Once we realize that this world is not our home, it ought to, it ought to repro- reprioritize really every aspect of our lives. As Christians doing life together, we have a hope. We have an assurance that, that won't fail, that'll never fade. Paul's writing to the Christians in Thessalonica, and he knows some of them are concerned about what's going to happen when they die. Now, how do you deal with death? How do you deal with sorrow and loss and pain and suffering? And he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I've got verses 16, 17, and 18 on the screen there, but let me back up to verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4, I'm going to begin in verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. And then verse 16 that's on the screen there. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive will be left and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. You know what Paul just shared with those people? He just shared the gospel with those people. Jesus died. God brought him back to life. And then he tells them in verse 18, Therefore, encourage each other with these words. You know, when people are hurting, when people are suffering, when people are confused, we need to encourage them with the gospel. Because of the gospel, we already know what our future looks like. Jesus is going to return with a shout. The voice of the archangel, a trumpet of God. When that happens, the dead in Christ will rise. And those who are still alive will meet them in the air. And they'll be with the Lord, Paul says, forever. Paul is writing to Christians. Paul is writing to people who have made Jesus their Lord and Savior, but he's still sharing the gospel. We never get to a point where we don't need to hear the gospel. Every fear we face, every question we have, every doubt we struggle with, I think, is answered by the gospel. Jesus died. God raised him back to life. He's sitting at the right hand of God, and someday, he's going to come back. 
And everyone who is in Christ, He's going to take them home to be with Him forever. When our son Nate was just a little kid, we could not keep him in a seatbelt. I mean, like at six or eight months old, he could get out of his car seat. And it was a constant struggle to try to keep Nate in a seatbelt. As soon as he'd get in, he'd start, Nate, you, you can't leave... You can't take the seatbelt off. Nate, you've got to keep staying in your car seat. I'd look in the rearview mirror and he'd be working on the car seat. Nate, you cannot get out of your car seat. Why? Why can't I? Because if we get in an accident, I don't want you to get hurt. We'll drive better. <laughs> I'm trying to drive better, but that's why they call it an accident. You know, things happen, and I don't want us to be in an accident and you get killed. And his reply was always, why? I'll just go to heaven. Which at the time was not funny. And that was not the end of the conversation, by the way. He did wear a seatbelt. My point is, even a small child can understand that this isn't all there is. Even a small child can realize that there's, there's something else. And an eternal focus changes the way we live. And an eternal focus is going to change the way we love as well. We are to encourage one another in the middle of pain and disappointment and heartache. And we're to encourage one another with the gospel. Jesus died, sacrificed himself on a cross for our sins. God raised him back to life. He's going to come back and take us home if we're found to be faithful in Christ. So one app that you need to download is, is the World Is Not My Home app. Here's another app that you're going to need when we think about doing life together, and that is the EGR app. Extra grace required. Paul says there are difficult people in the church. There are difficult people in the church. You wanted to amen, didn't you? But you knew it would be awkward if you did. Hey, you don't need a preacher to tell you there's difficult people in the church. And you don't need an inspired writer of God to tell you there are difficult people in the church, but one does. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. Have you ever noticed that some people are just difficult to love? If you've never noticed that, it's a pretty good chance you're one of them. But some people are just difficult to love. Maybe you heard the story about the, the preacher who was doing a, a children's sermon uh, one Sunday and he called all the kids up on stage with him. And that particular church had these beautiful stained glass windows that depicted different Bible scenes. And he was telling the children, when you look at those stained glass windows, if you look really closely, what you'll see is every one of those pictures is actually made up of a lot of little panes of glass, colored glass. And all those little panes of glass put together make this beautiful image. And if just one or two of those little panes of glass weren't there, the image that we look at wouldn't be nearly as beautiful. And in the same way, all of you, if you weren't here, the image wouldn't be nearly as beautiful. So we told the little children, you're a little pain, and you're a little pain, and you're a little pain. Can we be honest with each other this morning? 
there are some little pains sometimes in the church, right? But, however, one of the surest signs I believe that a church is teaching the gospel is it attracts difficult people. I think a sign of a healthy church that is preaching the gospel is that she attracts difficult people. Remember, Paul told these Christians in Thessalonica to grow in love more and more. What better way to grow in love than to practice loving people who aren't the easiest people to love? And keep this in mind. God did not find you very easy to love. And God did not find me very easy to love. Paul, who wrote this letter, called himself the chief of sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God has no problem extending a little extra grace when needed. We need to have that same uh, heart as well. We need to learn to love difficult people, which brings me to one last point, one app, last app that we need if we're going to do life together. And it's found in uh, verse 15 of 1 Thessalonians 5. It is the, I didn't deserve that app. And, and I think really in, in today's society, in our culture, we really need to get a handle on this idea. If we're going to truly do life together, we're going to have to learn to express kindness when we've been wronged, when we've been hurt. First Thessalonians 5.15 See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to everyone else. I think... Maybe the hardest time to love is when we've been hurt and when we've been wronged. Because it's just human nature to want to pay back evil for evil. The, the flesh says, get even. The spirit says, always try to do good to each other and to everyone else. Wade Boggs, the Hall of Fame baseball player who actually graduated from Planton High School, uh, spent most of his career with the Boston Red Sox. He actually ended up playing here in Tampa at the end of his career. But he talked in an interview once about the fact that when he was with Boston, he used to hate playing in Yankee Stadium. And it wasn't so much that the Yankees and the Red Sox were such uh, big rivals. It was because of one fan at Yankee Stadium. This guy had a, a season pass, season ticket on the third baseline where Boggs played. He said, from the time they started warming up before the game to the bottom of the ninth, this guy would just scream obscenities at Wade Boggs. Just the ugliest things you can imagine about his appearance, about his play, about his family. Nothing was out of bounds. This guy just, just went into a tirade for nine innings, screaming and cursing at Wade Boggs. And he was there one day, they're warming up for a game, and this guy starts in on him. And Wade Boggs thought to himself, I've had it. And he walks over to the fellow and said, are, are you the guy that is always cussing me out? And the fan stood up and he said, yeah, I am. What are you going to do about it? And Boggs reached into his back pocket and pulled out a Sharpie pen and he took the ball out of his mitt and he autographed it, tossed it to the fellow. The guy never said another word after that. Now, be honest. Somewhere in your past, there's someone who's hurt you, who has said or who has done 
really hurtful things towards you. And every time you think about doing life with that person, it just tears you up inside because all you can think about is the hurt. And all you can think about is that wound. What they did to you, you didn't deserve. But what Paul is telling us is when we've been hurt, when we've been wronged, when we're trying to decide how are we going to retaliate, how are we going to respond, when we're tempted to pay back evil for evil, instead we have to ask ourselves the question, what does love require of me? In this moment, right here, right now, what does love require of me? Well, you don't know what he did. What does love require of me? Well, you don't know what she said. What does love require of me? Well, you don't know how bad that hurt. Yeah, I bet I do. Because we've all been hurt. And we all have to decide how we're going to respond to that hurt. Paul says, respond with love. It's, it's counterintuitive to everything the world tells us. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, respond with love. Can you do that? No. By yourself, you can't. With the Spirit of God, yes, we can. It's a powerful response. I heard about a, a very elaborate vacation Bible school play that a group was doing, and they were depicting the ascension of Jesus. And the actors were on stage in the final part of the little play they were putting on. Uh, Jesus was going to actually ascend. They had a, a harness around the actor that was playing Jesus and kind of a, a, a cable that was somewhat hidden. And he was going to be raised up on the stage and all the way up past the curtain where everybody sitting out in the auditorium couldn't see him anymore. And everything went fine in the play until it came time for the ascension of Jesus. And they started to pull Jesus up, and he got about 10 feet off the stage, and the cable got stuck. And Jesus is just hanging there. And then the guy playing Jesus actually started to drift back down towards stage. And he got about a foot away from the floor and got stuck again. So now here's this young man playing the part of Jesus, and he's just suspended you know, right above the stage. And of course, everybody on stage is staring at him, and all the kids are giggling, and all the teachers out there are sort of laughing, and don't know what to do. But the fellow who was playing the part of Jesus was a pretty quick thinker. And he raised his hand, and everyone sort of quieted down, and he said, One more thing. I really meant that part about loving everyone. And then they lifted him back up out of sight. Listen. Scripture tells us that we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. We don't need any more revelation. We don't need any more instruction. But I think maybe if Jesus were to show up here today, he very well might say, one more thing. I really meant that part about loving each other. And we know he really meant that part about loving each other because, boy, did he model love. Boy, did he show us how to love each other. What's the greatest command, Jesus? Love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. Second's lacking to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. The older I get, I am more and more convinced that we spend so much time and so much effort worrying about and arguing about things that will never be on the final exam. Let me tell you what I am sure is going to be on the final exam. Love God, love people. Everything else hangs on that, hinges on that. If we get better and better, more and more, deeper and deeper, at loving God and loving each other, all those other things that we worry about and stress over, they fall into place because God takes care of those things. Because God works with us and in us and through us. So my prayer this morning is that, that, we, that we love more and more. That we respond with love. That our, our knee-jerk default reaction is what does love require of me in this moment? You're surrounded by a church family who, who loves you. If there's something going on in your life that you need the prayers of the people who love you. There'll be some here at the front of the auditorium. Maybe today's the day you want to respond to the good news of the gospel. Uh, we'll help you in any way that we can with whatever's going on in your life. Meet us at the front of the auditorium while we'll stand and sing the song.